This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, just like spy movies, the worst hacks come from inside jobs inside the companies. One of the biggest leaks in gaming history and a hack against Uber are believed to all come from insiders or at least access to insiders. Hacking expert Hank the Hacker tells us how companies can be vulnerable to insider attacks and what you and I can do to protect ourselves with some insights that we need to know. We also got a firsthand look at the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II with Ben O'Hara Byrne, host of A Little More Conversation. He's in London with some uh, conversation with us this time about what it's going to look like and some things that people aren't really talking about about the passing of the queen as a person not the queen plus are you okay with being stuck in traffic this is the shift podcast are you okay with (sighs) traffic delays are you okay with traffic delays? Uh, no. I mean, I guess it gives you some time to maybe think or just, I don't know, listen to some music. But I just, uh, you know, there's never really a situation where that's, I guess, the ideal thing that you want to see when you're on the road. Mm. Not good. I don't Definitely know. Not good. No one's okay with traffic delays. Besides, as I said before, the guy in the copter who reports on it or person mm-hmm. in the copter. They love traffic delays. They're all over mm-hmm. it. And these people at AM 730 behind me here in Vancouver, all traffic no, all the time. Yeah, they love it. They just, the bridge is shut down. Yes. <laughs> that must be a tough gig, eh? At about 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. And uh, there's a road. And there's a road. Oh, car. Tough one. I think it's mostly just telling you where the construction spots are over and over. And over. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but they do a good job. We'll give them credit for that one. While crashes on the highways can be very uh, disturbing, they can be very disrupting, they can change people's lives, especially when the big trucks are involved. And we always wish for our nighttime drivers and truck drivers the safest of the trips. Drivers on Oklahoma's I-40 were treated to quite a surprise on Wednesday when a semi-truck flipped over and spilled its load. The truck... Uh, flipped over after colliding with another vehicle, broke open, and left hundreds of boxes of cargo all across the highway. But what did it spill? Well, upon closer inspection, you can clearly see the cargo. It was not sneakers or spaghetti sauce, like the last semi that crashed. Are you okay? It was not oil. Nope. It was an entire load of adult sex toys, and personal lubricants. Now, if you want to hear what that sounds like, this is KWTV's helicopter traffic reporter as they try to not describe the accident in detail. Scotty's nine, back to you. Jim, can you tell what he's carrying there? What's all over the road? All right, that's it's a, a mess for yeah, sure. Yeah, that's the latest. I-40 eastbound. Uh, well, looks like some... Bu- no, we're zooming in. Uh, not really... Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe you Some can tell. I, I can't tell. You yeah. know, the good thing involved in this too is the driver's not injured. Good. There's no injuries, but uh, there's a lot of stuff laying on the road. Whatever it is, it's going to take a while to clean up. <laughs> it was. You can see awkward. it. He saw it. You he can knew. clearly see it, right? Oh yeah, he knew. <laughs> um, zoom out! Oh my God! Undo! Undo the zoom! Undo the zoom! So it literally was the entire. Um, uh, tractor trailer was flipped over, broken open, and spilled all over. So it was literally like all scattered all over the road and um, and obvious. Now, is I would imagine it was dangerous because it was like personal lubricant and stuff. If that stuff broke open, I'm not quite sure how you clean that up off the highway. <laughs> like slippery, slippery road ahead. You're gonna need a, a power washer for that, amongst many other things. Like, how'd you slide off the road? It's all, it's all basically <laughs> like water-based for the most part. It'll just, yeah, it'll evaporate. It's fine. That's, next time, Ryan, we need some consult on. Thanks. Yeah. Well, expert. Just, yeah. We'll go to. I'd say that's pretty common knowledge. Most of them are water-based. Yeah, water-based. I mean, oh. they go on direct skin, so you want them to be. Something as yeah. benign as water-based, for sure. You don't want it to be acidic or something, you know? You know what's funny about this job? What? <laughs> if we had this conversation in any other facet of any other job together mm-hmm. at work, uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> it's probably a massive HR infraction. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I used to have conversations mm. like this with Maureen when I worked on her show. But I mean, uh, yeah, me. I used to do the, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. the yeah. health show. That's where the expertise yeah. comes from. Yeah. That's how I know. Yeah. There you go. See? There you go. Expertise. If you ever need to know, BK's your guy. Uh, eh? Let's not go that far. I don't I don't need I don't need emails at Brendan at it's to shift.ca. I'll just yeah. forward them to Maureen. <laughs> That's right. We <laughs> could sure be, we could get that. your we could brand you your own personal uh lubricant. We could do BK's jelly or something. BK's no. jelly. Okay. Go think hey. KY. I could be K. That's me. Yeah, there you, you go. BK. Yeah, the BK right? jelly. I don't no, that's not the legacy I want to leave. No, that's not it. Oh well. No. Very good stuff. Anyway, um yeah, awkward video and uh funny. Amazing. Still though. I mean, if you're the truck driver, I mean, do you really, I don't know, truck drivers, do you look at the manifest and know what it is you're carrying if it's just a bunch of boxes? Because the truck driver was okay, gets out of the truck, (laughs) walks out, gets on the road, and oh, no. And then then there's the people that are their job, their tasks, like sometimes the tow, tow companies have people that come and clean up, you know, and then they someone has to, like, sweep or shovel all those up Mm -hmm. and um and put them somewhere and then they've got to go into a box or something or back of a truck and then they've got to get moved someplace and disposed of so you know it's um i think the whole thing's awkward for everybody just saying are you okay with an inheritance oh uh, funny story. I made a joke about how, you know, I was telling, talking to my dad who works for like a, a auto in the automotive industry. And I was making a joke about how, uh, I would really love, uh, an electric car one day. And my dad just kind of looked at me. He's like, you know, like oil and gas is your inheritance. Right. And I just kind of paused and I went, Ooh, I might have to rethink that whole electric EV thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's awkward. It's, oh, it's, it's a weird thought because it's like, oh, that could be cool to have. But also, hmm, really don't want my parents to go. So, hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know somebody who um, I they were married and they're no longer married. Mm-hmm. And this person's partner, I'm being gender unspecific for their privacy. This person's partner owns uh, an oil and gas company. And as part of the divorce... Uh, there's, you know, money that's traded and paid for and, and um, spousal support that's paid 100% from that very large oil company. And that spousal support gets paid to somebody who uh, is absolutely working uh, as a green advocate and lives in a very nice uh, house, wow. like a, a nice, very beautiful detached home and and drives it like a, a, a hybrid car. It's not not an EV, but it's a hybrid car. And and everything else. And is a big advocate for all things green. But I'm not quite sure that that same person um, shares with the whole world that, by the way, uh, the money that bought that house. Like this is where the crossroads comes from, right? Mm-hmm. Bought that house is paid, bought and paid for from you know the ex-spouse's business dealings in oil and gas. So. Where does the money come from? Where does the money go? There's this, the Patagonia guy is a great example, right? Uh, he, uh, he put his ownership of Patagonia into trust to have profits from Patagonia continue to go to, you know, environmental things. Patagonia is a really neat company. Very cool um, company. to learn about. Yep. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about the, as far as I've learned anyway, maybe there's more to discover there, but as far as I've learned that that is one company that is, works so hard to be inside the integrity of all the things they do mm-hmm. um, around the environment, including, you know, labor, fabrics, all that stuff. So it's worth, you know, of all the companies that I've ever read about, that's probably the one that gets it right. So there you go. So there's the inheritance uh, continues forward in the form of trust to continue doing it. So inheritances would be cool. I think it's cool. Prince William just inherited an enormous amount of money, at least value, old and powerful money too. Prince William, the next in line for the throne, inherits the private Duchy of Cornwall estate from his dad. The Duchy holds a massive amount of land and property covering 140,000 acres, most of it in southwest England. Its 685-year-old estate, created in 1337 by King Edward II, 
And any guesses on the value? Anybody? Hands up. Without going over? Uh, without going over? I'm going to guess 687 million great British pounds, Bob. Bob. Uh, okay. I'll guess uh, 400 million. All right. Well, it's a lot. And here's the answers. Prince William just scored a new piece of property and it's worth over a billion dollars. Yeah, that's billion with a B. When his father became King Charles III, he became an even wealthier man overnight. While much of the royal family's wealth is kept in secrecy, experts have been able to piece together just how much each member is worth. And with the changing of royal titles and transitions of assets after Queen Elizabeth's death, Looks like William, who's now first in line to the throne, is inheriting the private duchy of Cornwall estate from his father, King Charles III. But that's not the only new thing in William's life. He's also gained two new titles. William and Catherine, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and the Duke and Duchess of Cornwall, as they became upon the Queen's death and Charles becoming king, are now also to be known as the Prince of Wales and the Princess of Wales. This was not automatic. It was upon the wishes of King Charles. All right, that was from E.T., by the way. Its website says revenue from the estate is used to fund public, private, and charitable activities. The biggest slice of the family's fortune, $20 billion crown estate, now belongs to King Charles as the reigning monarch. Under an arrangement dating back to 1760, the monarch hands over all profits from the estate to the government in return for a slice called the Sovereign Grant. According to CNN, the estate includes vast swaths of central London property and the seabed around England, Wales, and Northern Ireland. The king can only spend the sovereign grant on royal duties, and neither he nor his heir are allowed to benefit from the sale of assets uh, in their duchies. Any profit from disposals are reinvested back into the estate. Which is, that's part of the thing that gets lost, I think, that th there are a lot of rules around what can and cannot be done. My opinion has always been they can't be wealth building off of this, right? Like you can't be wealth building. The reality is that number gets bigger and bigger and bigger because of inflation and property values and all those things. So um, there, there are some really cool things that they've done. Do they live quite the lifestyle? Yes. They, I think in today's world though, it's a little less in your face. And as long as they're not personally wealth building off of this, this money and there are rules to where it goes, uh, it's fascinating, quite fascinating. There are a lot of uh, arguments, though, in Ireland, Scotland, and England over allowing normal people like you and I a chance to buy that land because they own so much of it and nobody can buy it. It does not go up for sale, and it's not like you just go to MLS and just buy some. So fascinating stuff. Are you okay with kangaroos I saw a baby um, kangaroo once really cool I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wait until you play the thing well we didn't say we didn't say the thing yet. okay well then I think I, it goes without saying that if we're talking about kangaroos well, we're gonna I can help thing. you here when I was in Australia oh the local populace the ones that I talked to I didn't talk to all what 26 million of them however uh, or however many there are um, something like that uh, but yeah most of them seem to suggest that kangaroos were pests they didn't like them mm -hmm. so much down there like and they like rummage through trash and stuff so they don't like them even though they're pretty iconic to the country mm -hmm. yeah I feel like kangaroos are halfway between a trash panda raccoon and a deer that they're everywhere and they're cute, but then they sort of get in the way. And of course, we are talking about Australia's animal. Just drive from town to paradise and you'll see why we call Australia home. Australia. Okay, got that out of the way. Um, every it. time. We bring it up. You have to. We got to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So here's a headline for you. Kangaroo shot after killing owner, blocking medics from reaching him. And it actually happened. On this small hobby farm, Peter Eads raised alpacas, but it was an attack from his pet kangaroo, which left him with serious injuries. His family called an ambulance, but it was initially too dangerous for paramedics to reach him. 
often animals in that situation start becoming aggressive. Maybe it was reacting to people as if they were kangaroos and it was uh, defending itself or being aggressive. When police arrived at the property in Redmond, about 400 kilometres southeast of Perth, they were forced to kill the kangaroo in an attempt to save the man. But the 77-year-old died at the scene. Kangaroos don't make good pets. They are wild animals and they do need big spaces and mobs. They certainly can't be raised alone. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's from ABC News, by the way. Not ABC News that we know, but the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, ABC News. The death marks the first fatal kangaroo attack in the country since 1936. Western grey kangaroos are common in Australia's southwest. They can weigh up to 54 kilos and stand 1.3 meters tall. Male kangaroos can be aggressive and fight people with the same techniques that they use uh, with each other. They use their short upper limbs to grapple with their opponent, their muscular tails to take their body weight, and then they lash out with their powerful clawed hind legs and give you a boot. Violent. I think I figured it out. They, Australia, we have... Cobra chickens, Australia has kangaroos. They're mm. the equivalent. They're our, like our national animal, mm-hmm. but they're a menace. Mm-hmm. I learned huh. some stuff about Canadian geese, though. There's some amazing stories about Canadian geese, and I didn't know this, and I was just told this, so if I'm wrong, I'm happy to be corrected. But, for example, um, because of, you know why they fly in a V, it's aerodynamic, and the lift mm-hmm from the bird in front of them helps them fly more efficiently so they can fly longer. And when the bird that's at the front uses the most energy, when they get tired, they fade away to the back and then another bird goes to the front. Well, if a bird gets exhausted or injured and bails out of the V, I was told that another goose or two will actually follow that bird down to the ground and stay with it until it's healthy again or... Uh, has enough energy again to fly, and then the three of them will fly together, and they will go and try to catch up to the main flock again. And so, uh, loyal, strangely enough, even cool. though they're wickedly violent. That would explain so, why they're so like territorial and so aggressive, is they're very protective of their own stock. That's kind of well, they're very protective of the babies. Yeah. Don't ever get in between the babies. It's not honk, good. Honk. In the golf course, been chased more than once. Just saying. We have time for one more. Hey, yeah, we do one more. Right. Are you okay with? Ooh, this is right up your alley, BK. Are you okay with salad? Oh yeah, you win tons of friends with salad. Oh, you do. Yeah, lots of friends. You win. You win both friends. Mm -hmm. I love salad. Salad's good. I I, uh, kale salad. Big fan of that. Oh yeah, kale in the salad. Yeah. Yeah. I used to think that was just for hipsters, but no, it tastes really good. I get it. It's. It's really tough if it's not done right, though. Kale's a tough one. Uh, Here are some things you might expect to find in a salad. Lettuce, for example, some other veggies. I like the cucumbers in my salad. It's one of my favorites. I like a little spinach in my salad, maybe some Mm -hmm. chicken. Here's one item you would not expect to find in a salad. A frog. And yet, here in Canada, uh, an Ontario person found a frog in her salad this week. Chantelle Scott, 26-year-old model, went food shopping with her dad last Saturday and had an unusual experience at a supermarket. Here's the quote she gave to Narcity. I went over, I was picking up lettuce, put it down, looked up, and it was directly in front of my eye, this frog in the lettuce. And I was like, oh my gosh, mom, I have to talk to you later. There's a frog here. The frog was big and somehow alive inside the clamshell packaging of the lettuce. Sobeys told Narcity that their quality assurance and food safety teams are currently working to better understand what may have led to this unusual situation. Now, this has happened before, not at Sobeys, but in a Target in the States back in 2017. Becky Garfinkel says she bought a salad from a local Target store, and this vegetarian got quite the surprise when she sat down to eat it. She saw the tiny frog peeking out from under the salad leaves. The discovery actually made her sick to her stomach. But after all the vomiting was over, she says she thought the little critter was cute. She also felt bad for what it must have gone through. So she and her husband decided to keep it as a pet. They named it Lucky, considering how it narrowly escaped an awful death. Weird. Oh, awful. Yeah. Yeah. 
keep very it very different pet? i don't on. know what happened to the other frog by the way i looked i have no idea what happened with this this frog that was just found in canada i don't i don't think they took it home as a pet but i also don't think it was outright like disposed of so hopefully he's just like chilling in a pond somewhere on a lily pad you know yeah. frogs are cool yeah well as my uh my young friend ryan uh we just we took the frog to a farm he's happier there oh that's so good to hear so good to hear. Maybe yeah. I can visit someday. You absolutely, but it's pretty far, so I don't, I'm not sure. Okay. Maybe but in a he's couple, happier there. 60, 70 years ago. This is the Shift Podcast. Thank you very much for being here, being part of the Shift. Some news. You know, we always get told when you go to a job, you know, oh, corporate privacy, you know, got to take care of the company. Right, all the jobs are like that. Of course, I mean, think about it. If you're the business owner, you wouldn't want people out leaking the secrets, right? Well, there has been a massive leak to the tune of massive. <laughs> There's no way to measure it. Massive. That's happened. So with all that, that means we need to check in with Hank the Hacker. System breach. What just happened? Someone hacked me. There he is. Hank the Hacker is here. Hank, how are you? Awesome. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Always my pleasure. Uh, it's uh, it's great. I'm glad you're here. Thank you so much. Well, Hank, we've all heard about, you know, corporate privacy, and we all need to make sure we protect, uh, you know, the secrets of the business and the things we work for. We wouldn't want all of our hard work put out there, right? All those secrets that are tossed about. That would make sense. I agree with that. <laughs> but there has been a couple of big ones this week. And a bit of a connection between the two stories. Next, we will chat about Uber, because Uber got hacked. But first, let's talk about Grand Theft Auto. Now, Grand Theft Auto, I understand from Ryan, that is like the biggest grossing media thing of all time. Massively popular game. They've been working on a new version of the game for a very long time, and somebody set it free. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I I actually I I saw it this week weekend first. I was watching a stream online, and uh, all my friends started messaging me and saying like, "Did you just see that?" And I I wasn't even paying attention enough that, uh, you know, they ended up blocking the stream and shutting it down so that they wouldn't get banned because all their viewers started saying that it that it it was real and what they were referring to was um, what someone was posting live on these the forums for the development of this video game where people kind of go to chat about the older games and uh, someone was leaking secrets. And, you know, at first I thought it was, it wasn't as significant. I kind of took it as any other like video game week we see in the industry, but because uh, this kind of thing happens quite often, just not really with Rockstar games. Um, like, they've had quite a bit of leaks happen in the past, but not like this. And uh, it turns out that someone got social engineered within the company, and again with social engineering and that, that human element. And, and yeah, now we're seeing a bunch of um, video footage of the development of the game and Ton, tons of content that shouldn't be out there so social engineering so you can explain that for everybody hank is basically when somebody inside the office inadvertently either befriends gives access to um gets scammed by somebody else but essentially it takes somebody in the office to give away the keys in some fashion to somebody else who wants to do bad things is that a fair summary yeah, so social engineering is just, you know, for lack of, I guess, a better term, just kind of convincing someone or, or, or hoodwinking someone into uh, making a decision or, or, or doing something before they have any time to, to really think about it or react. And uh, so in this case, you know, giving out password access or giving out an invite to a certain private channel uh, would be social engineering. 
It's got to be bad for the old CV, the resume, the career, if you're the guy who does that. You know, I would I would figure on both sides. It's it's bad for both sides, not only the guy doing the social engineering, but the guy getting social engineered in in an you know, in, in a world that we like to think is so conscious about cybersecurity and, and especially recently in, and over COVID with all the, the breaches we saw there, um, that, you know, simple things like this wouldn't happen anymore. And I'm seeing a lot of um, security researchers saying that this doesn't surprise them. But I sit here and I, I, I'm, I'm surprised that, you know, attacks like these MFA fatigue attacks in, in this case where they were taking uh, advantage of, of authentication systems where, where it sends you a notification or, or just taking advantage again of, of that human element and that interaction. It, 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 as much as it doesn't surprise me, it surprises me that, that we're still seeing this. And, and of course the kid that, that did the hack is, He's all over social media claiming responsibility, and I, I don't think that he's hiding his identity at all. So uh, probably not going to look good on his his resume yeah. if he wants to become an ethical hacker. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one, too. MFA fatigue attacks. Now, we've talked about this a, a lot, Hank, about multi-factor authentication for everybody who logs into maybe your email and then you get a text message, um, you know, asking for a second authentication or is this you push the button, that kind of thing. And what, what starts to happen with this is then the bad guys start to hammer you with these, uh, two-factor authentication notifications to a point where you just want them to stop. So you finally just go, yes, it's me. So they stop, which gives somebody else access. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a scary attack. I, I'm, I'm seeing all these guys say that they're not surprised and whatever. But, you know, I've, I've executed these in red team engagements. And it's it's easy to carry out, but it's alarming how effective it is. And I even, you know, my girlfriend a little while ago, she has uh, my account on her phone. And she was... Um, I went to log into my account. She approved the uh, the multi-factor authentication kind of where it pops up on your phone and says, is this you? Do you want to allow the, the login? And I kind of had to sit down and talk with her about multi-factor f- fatigue attacks and how, you know, people will target that aspect of logging into your account because more often than not, either if, if you haven't hit allow right away, they'll just keep spamming it until you do get you do get annoyed or, or you think it may have been you or a loved one or something, and then you hit allow. Well, here's mine. I'll give you mine, and here's a scary one for you. Um, so, you know, I'm a business owner, right? So I have uh, accounting software, and I have a web version of a portal to my accounting software. So I can do it on my phone with the app. I can just go into a browser if I'm not in front of my main office computer and I can do accounting things. So for example, Hank, if you say, well, hey, Shane, I uh, want you come down and uh, let's go for lunch. So Hank and I go for lunch and he introduces me to one of his, his corporate buddies, securities buddies or whatever and says, and they say, well, tell you what, you're free right now. Let's sit down. Give me a consult on how to speak to my staff. I can create an invoice right there sitting at the table, send it to that guy, and we can sit down and work right now. So it's super convenient for business owners to do that. Think about that. You know, somebody comes, you come into the, the construction worker, whatever, uh, they come do your windows, they come, you know, shovel your driveway, poof, there's your invoice, you pay right now, it's all done. Great way to do business. The bank accounts, though, in order to reconcile that software, used to always be connected which is very secure. It's the same company that does your tax filing. So it is as secure as the banking systems are anyway. And, but the thing is, is now they've put in this two factor authentication at some of the banks. So every time the accounting system queries the bank to do a refresh of the account balances, it asks you on the phone, is this you? And so if you hit no, it asks you to change the password again. And if you hit yes, it lets them in. So in order to do business, every time I go into my accounting software, I have to refresh all the accounts manually now. Then I still have to approve, is this you? Then it will connect the accounts. But if the software is just doing it on its own as normal scheduled update, I get alerts all the time. 
into my bank accounts, is this you? And I can't answer no because I'm changing my password three times a day. You know, <clears throat> I sit here and I listen to, to this and I, I can't help but understand why my dad wasn't the biggest fan of technology and computers. Oh, it's just getting more and more convoluted and you know, these processes, as much as they're in place to help us, it's so inconvenient to have to go through that, you know, all of that process just to do a little, a little bit of business. But yeah, it's, it's, it's terrifying because as, as much as these, these things are put in place to keep us safe, people just figure out ways to get around them. And they're so inconvenient that it makes it easier to abuse in some ways. Mm -hmm. Well, my parents, a great example is that uh, my, my parents are going on a on a bit of a trip here in the coming weeks, uh, just a little domestic flight, everything else. It's been a while since they've flown because of all things that have gone on, right? COVID and everything else. And um, and my mom couldn't distinguish the difference between the WestJet app and the WestJet website because the branding's the same, right? And until, especially on the new phones, until you scroll down and then that URL bar pops up from the bottom, Right. You, you might not even know the difference between the two because she hasn't been on it for a few years. And so we, I was helping her get herself all set up with her PNRs on there. And then the, um, and I just had to say to her, um, mom, I don't think you're on the app. And then so she sent me a screenshot. I'm like, no, yeah, that's not the app. So if it's that confusing for some of the older users to not be able to tell the difference, imagine the opportunity that creates for the bad guys to be able to get access to these things. It's crazy. Oh yeah, and the the pretexting attacks it, it it just introduces all these new kind of forms of scams and fraud, and of course maybe a little unrelated, but I think of that the grandfather attack that um, that we've seen most recently. I actually saw where someone ran the grandfather attack, and and what 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 I mean by the grandfather attack is where they'll go to kind of like an, an older family member and say, hey, you have to give some money to release uh, your, your, you know, your relative, your son, your nephew, niece from prison. And uh, they went to the door, got about $10,000 um, to, you know, quote unquote, release this, this guy's nephew from prison. And um, it wasn't until they went back to try it again on him and a turned on bank employee actually realized that he was a part of a scam. So they called the police and the police went to the house and waited for the guy to come back. So they, they ended up catching him, but yeah, it's just as much as there's these, these processes put in place to protect you, it just opens, opens you up to more, more vectors of attack and and yeah. of course fraud isn't calming down after covid we're just seeing more and more of it and people are getting more creative well i get more uh messages on messenger on facebook and instagram and everything else and and then yeah. now like these are the things that hank that drive me crazy is that so i get a message this week saying hey you know business opportunity look what i did da 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 da, da. six hundred dollars to get involved turn around six thousand dollars in four weeks or whatever and all of these things. And then, but even trying to report that as scammy, you have to go through like five or six different layers on Facebook of the complaint and reports thing. And then, then it doesn't even really report it. It's you have to hope that other people report it too. And even I've had a couple of shift heads send me messages on Instagram over the weekend that I don't follow. So it goes into the, the filtered, you know, you know, approve message things. I can no longer approve messages from people that I don't follow or whatever, unless I integrate my iMessage, Instagram, excuse me, not iMessage, Messenger from Facebook, Instagram messages and all those. Now it's forcing me to integrate them all. And so it's all going to happen together. And now it's going to get tangled up even more. You know, I, I giggle because I, I going back to Grand Theft Auto, I, I, I look at logging in to your account on there is such a process it's this long process in some cases when on your pc anyways maybe not console but if you're a, a pc gamer you have to connect all these different accounts steam and and the social club and all that but uh in terms of accessing private data through social engineering it was such a simple task be and i'm and i'm sure they had you know all these all these steps in place for for employees to keep themselves safe and keep that that data private but it just got abused just by some 
reportedly, I'm going to say reportedly or alleged uh, 18-year-old hacker. Mm -hmm. Well, there is a connection to the next story, which is Uber got hacked and the way the hacker announced it. Slack is a communications, you know, work, I don't know, workflow uh, app that a lot of businesses use in the background because um, you can schedule things, plan things, communicate. Great for remote working as well. And Slack, they basically got into the Slack channel and post on there. Hi there. I'm a hacker and uh, you've been hacked. And so it was literally into the communication systems of Uber. But I, uh, there have been some reports that this is at least claimed to be the same person as the Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, at least that's what um, what we're I seeing think. online, and we're I, I think we're seeing like he's he's taking uh, responsibility for for the Uber hack and the Grand Theft Auto event or or incident, um, and, and with some pretty good evidence to follow, he has some pretty good uh, evidence to prove that he was the one responsible for this, and in terms of you know, he has screenshots even from private um chat or channels from within within the uber company and and of course he has screenshots of databases and within servers that would have been only accessible on the internal side of uber's infrastructure so it's pretty damning to see uh screenshots like that from the same user What's the um? What's the point in this? I mean, the the headline from Wired is Uber's hack devastation is just starting to reveal itself. But really, what's the point? I mean, obviously, there's ego involved in this. Uh, I mean, they're they're not locking it up and holding it for ransom. What's the point in and for the hackers to make money here? What is it? Man, you you're always right on the dot, Shane. And that's exactly it. And. Because if you look at this, there could have been many, many different ways this guy could have, or many different, um, I guess, reasons or motives this guy could have had to get in. And, it, you know, from financial and doing holding the company ransom to um, fraud, again, with fraud or just collecting personal data. But in this case, and, and what you would kind of expect from you know, maybe an 18-year-old hacker is... Um, it, he's just boasting about it online and any security researcher that reaches out to him, he's fairly open with and commenting and in, in some cases even seems like he's bragging about, uh, how easy it was for him to do this. So, um, yeah, he's very open, <laughs> very open about it. And again, with mm-hmm. saying, I, I don't think that's going to look too good on his, uh, his resume if he tries to become an ethical hacker, but. Well, seeming to not be the case, but what's the point? He gets a little clout in the hacking world and he gets hired by bad guys to do bad things. I mean, what really comes next for a guy like that? You know, it, it's surprising because back in the day that this, like, if this happened, you know, he probably would have, depending on age, would have gone to jail, get charged, and then and then get, get a job offer. And like we saw with Kevin Mitnick in the 90s when he right. hacked uh, some phone companies and then went to jail and came out with a job offer and now he's got his own company of course but nowadays with all all these compromises and companies being so security conscious and especially even on like the cyber security side of things companies want to hire people that they they can prove are ethical and i've even had problems with that in my past because of going on dr phil to warn google about that that nest vulnerability so there's like a a yin and a yang to doing these kinds of things and it always kind of in in my point of view and in my experience it it boils down to intent what was his intent and usually if if you're in so if you hack something and your intent was to you know you kind of stumbled upon it and now you want to tell the company that owns the product or runs the product that there's a vulnerability and how to fix it. That's good. That's good intent. I, th- I think those are great intentions. And yeah. there's even laws now in the states where you can't be charged as a hacker if you fell upon a vulnerability and your intention in reporting that was good. So I, I, I think that's a great step forward. But then you have in this case his intent was like you said just internet clout 
and just to kind of get some reputation online. So I'm not sure if that, you know, if that is worth as much as the harm it's done to the company that he's gone after, which obviously it's not. And, and he maybe doesn't see it that way, but how gray is that? Right? Like, I mean, you and I, all of a sudden we go to, you know, some, museum or something right some beautiful place and we find a door that's open so we go in and we walk around with no intention other than just telling security quotes telling security that you know the door was open and by the way we'll look around with nothing mean right but are we still trespassing yes is it still safe to assume that after um after hours they're not open yes are we still you know uh, maybe not breaking but we did enter and, um, you know, all of those things, they're still very present, but so should we not get in trouble for that? I would say that we're, it's, it's, a, it's a safe assumption, implied agreement that, that we should probably shouldn't be there. Um, so I don't know. It's fascinating you know, stuff. Hank, the hacker, uh, we're going to have to go here, Hank, just so you know, but so no just worries, quick thought no there. Oh, I, I was just, I, I can't help but agree with you. Cause think of it now, like if me and you were the, the bad guys and we're going in there looking to see if the diamonds or whatever are stored and oh, no, we were just looking around. We saw the door was open to make sure and nothing was there, so we're letting you guys know. But if they were mm-hmm. there, would you still let them know? Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. Exactly. Thanks so much for being here, bud. Thank you, man. This is The Shift Podcast. We're joined now by a gentleman who has been working very hard over the last few days. He's very far away. He is the host of A Little More Conversation, the show that is on before the shift on weeknights, Monday to Friday. Ben O'Hara-Byrne joins us from London. Hey, Ben. Good morning, Shane. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. It's a big day today. It's um, Things are getting underway. I guess maybe you could help us understand before you get into this broadcast and everything else going on, uh, what's in front of you? What do things look like? Yeah, we're just we're uh, we're looking late down onto the entrance of Westminster Abbey. The doors opened uh, about an hour ago. Now people have started to file in. Of course, there's going to be more than two thousand people there, um, so they need to do this in a way that ensures that everybody's seated and ready to. And and the doors can close at um, at eleven a.m. here. So in a couple of two hours time at this point, and uh, everything everything is timed down to the minute in these in these events. So uh, right now, a bus has just pulled up with more dignitaries coming in. Um, so yeah, just looking right down on it, it was very, it's completely locked down now around here. It's very hard to get in and out of anywhere at this point. Uh, we expect it will be this way until the procession has passed and finished. So for the next several hours in London, but yes, it's, uh, the planning for this has been going on for quite some time. And today is, uh, today it all comes together and we'll be, uh, we'll be watching and covering that, uh, that service for, uh, on course coming up in two hours time and starts in an hour and we'll be doing the service itself, the funerals from, uh, in two hours time for an hour. Uh, dignitaries that are there. Have you bumped into anybody that was uh, of? Yeah, I mean, we be uh, bumped into all the Canadians. I mean, um, you know, all the fellow prime ministers are here: Jacques Chrétien, Stephen Harper, Kim Campbell, Paul Martin is here as well. Uh, the prime minister obviously is here. Uh, he had a uh, relatively busy day. There's been some diplomacy going on on the sidelines, of course, as is often the case here. He met the new British prime minister yesterday. Uh, but yeah, no, there's. I mean, there are people to the point where you couldn't really cross easily cross the streets around here because there were so many motorcades coming and going uh, as people, as, as VIPs were brought in to see the Queen lying in state. So it's, uh, you know, it, it really has been, again, they, you know, they compared this, this to 100 state visits all at once, and you can really feel it when there's a state visit in a city, it kind of shuts down. When there are 100, uh, it's hard to cross the street. So it's been, uh, it's been, it's been like that for the past uh, 24 hours or so. We also met some Canadians who've been camping out. Um, since Friday, earlier even, on the side, just on the, on the stretch near Westminster Abbey, near uh, Westminster Hall, uh, to catch a glimpse of what's going to be going on. And that's, that happened. People were pitching tents and out there overnight. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's obviously a, a huge amount of interest in this. And those who uh, can brave the crowds and take the time, uh, there's a lot of them here to, to watch this, this moment in history unfold. What is the general tone like? It is such an interesting time. I mean, we, I think we as human beings, Ben, when someone passes away, we say a celebration of their life. We try to spin it into the positive. At the same time, it is emotional. People feel loss. In this particular case, you know, the, the world's grandmother seems to be the recurring 
phrase that I've heard the most this weekend. So there is a loss here, but there is uh, opportunity. There is excitement about what might be to come. And not to mention the, you know, I've shared this over the last few days. It's almost worked in the monarch's uh, disfavor that it's been so long that this stuff has unfolded in front of the public. People have become rather complacent or at least indifferent to it. So that can be exciting for people to see it all happen. What's the general tone that you're seeing or how you're, you're interpreting it? I think what will happen, I mean, the funeral, as was one, I spoke yesterday with, um, with Patricia Scotland, Baroness Scotland. She's the head of the Commonwealth, and she'll be one of two people reading today at the funeral. She's actually been given lessons, uh, verses from the Bible to read today. So I asked her about that, and she was quite, she obviously had spent time with the Queen as the head of Commonwealth, uh, and she described this as a, as a family funeral with, you know, a billion people watching. And, and I think that's what we're going to see today. And while there's been a celebration going on over the past several days, you talk to people waiting in line to pay their respects, certainly there was this idea that they want to share memories of the Queen. Again, as I mentioned, her history, because of the 70 years she was on the throne, is so intertwined into so many family histories here. The people, as you mentioned, they sort of felt that she was part of their family, and that's how it's explained. I think today will be obviously somber. And, and uh, Baroness Scotland actually you know, choked up talking about having to stand in the Abbey and, and speak to this woman that she said the most magni- one of the most magnificent women that any of us will have ever known um, in, you know, in the Abbey and to try and express her gratitude for that, and, but also thinking of the family and, and their grief on a, on, on a day like today. So I, I think today will be, will be more somber than it has been in recent days for obvious reasons. There is the finality to this um, that I think will change the tone somewhat. Um, and it is obviously a day of, of, of mourning for the family itself. We'll see again uh, the king, uh, his sons, other members of the royal family walking behind um, the horse-drawn gun carriage that will carry the queen's coffin from Westminster Hall to the Abbey in, not in about an hour and a half or so. Uh, and then after that, a long procession back past Buckingham Palace uh, up towards Wellington Arch, it's called, which the RCMP will lead for the coffin to be brought to Windsor where there'll be a, a, a committal ceremony and then burial tonight. So today is going to feel like the end. We've talked a lot about this being the end of an era, the end of a very important and long chapter of British history. And today really is the end, and I think that will sink in. I think we're seeing a much more subdued crowd today than we had over the past few days. Uh, Lots of cool moments with um, the visitation and everything that everybody was, was doing when the children and the grandchildren came in and did their, you know, they stood and did their vigils for 15 minutes. Uh, the the they did it in front of everybody else. Not like they held everybody outside and be like, "Okay, pause. We got to do a family thing here for a minute, family only." It wasn't like that. It literally happened and unfolded uh, in front of everybody. Uh, what's the conversation around that? Because it seems to me, if I could guess, that it would be quite amazing to be there. And all of a sudden, you have a, a politician dignitary from. Uh, a prominent one from around the world comes in and walks in or here comes Prince Harry and Prince William and they're going to stand there and do their vigil and, and, and do all the things that they do. So have you heard or, or yourself been around that part of the experience? Well, certainly yesterday or the day before rather, because of course the, the King and his siblings did the same vigil of the princes the night before. And then on Friday night, it was, it was, um, or Saturday rather, it was, it was the princes, it was the grandchildren. So people were trying to time their way in, but you're right. It was simply following the cadence of the changing of the guard, which is every 15, 20 minutes, right? So it was hard to time it in. But I think there was a real sense here that, that you know, this is a family funeral. And this is a family in mourning. And at the same time, you know, it was understood that when she began to lie in state, when the queen began to lie in state, that the family part of this would have ended for a while. And these were only really the only two moments, both when... Uh, the king and his siblings and then the grandchildren stood vigil or stood guard was really the only time in the past five days that there has been a family moment at this now very public state funeral or state mourning process. Um, so I think there was a, there was a, an understanding that this was going to be an opportunity for them to be part of this again. And, you know, as really as one person put it to me, you know, that last Wednesday when the when, when coffin was brought from Buckingham Palace to the Westminster Hall was really the time that the family brought in the rest of the nation to some extent. They had done so in Scotland, but brought in the rest of the nation into this mourning process with them. 
Um, and it must be difficult to have to do things so publicly. But um, there was certainly a lot of sympathy and affection for siblings and the grandchildren when they stood uh, vigil. There have obviously been controversy there uh, in, in recent uh, in recent years, but those were not being talked about as much over the past little while, simply out of respect for the fact that the family has had so little time to spend uh, mourning with their grandmother, great-grandmother, mom uh, in, 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 on their own, that these were those little moments, these little snippets where they could, and uh, and it was it was quite poignant. People were very touched by it. What do we um, What do we look forward to today? It's a special that's going to start here in less than an hour across the radio network. Donna Friesen's going to host the TV. You're going to be there to fill in some of the more silent TV times for those on radio who can't uh, get the subtitles and see what's been what's going on. Uh, ben O'Hara Byrne, host of a little more conversation. What, what does today look like for you? Well, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see the, the procession, which leaves, it's been an hour and a half away now, the procession, the very short procession from Westminster Hall to Westminster Abbey. That's a, a short distance. Um, the coffin will be carried by members of the Royal Navy. It'll be brought into the Abbey. Uh, we'll be watching for, I think what I'll be watching for today is the Queen very much had a hand in planning this. You know, the tone, the hymns, the readings, she had a, she had a, big, a big hand in this. We'll be hearing... Um, an anthem that was that was sung at her at her uh, at her coronation. We're going to be hearing an anthem that was, um, I believe, that was sung at her wedding. So there, it, it, there's going to be a lot of personal touches here. Again, it is, in many ways, a family funeral that the world will be watching. So I think what I'll be watching for, and I think a lot of people will be watching for, is those personal touches. You know, what will this ceremony say about the Queen herself and what she wanted to leave as her legacy? Um, and I think that part of it will be will be. Uh, something to watch for, and then certainly the procession afterwards, which will be a massive military procession, uh, again, as I mentioned, away from the away from the Abbey back and then up the Mall, that, you know, flag line street, and then past Buckingham Palace. The RCMP will be leading that, uh, the, the members of the, of the musical ride aboard four, riding four horses that gifted to uh, to the Queen by, by Canada, by the RCMP. So we'll be looking for that, too, because that should be quite the sight uh, for all Canadians to see that symbol of Canada right at the front of that funeral procession as it leaves and brings the coffin up to uh, to a hearse that will then go to Windsor, uh, where the where the burial will take place. And keep in mind, this is going to be the first monarch whose funeral will be held at Westminster Abbey in several hundred years. Usually, they're held at Saint Saint uh, Saint George's in I believe it's Saint George, at the chapel in Windsor. So this will be a first for that, and that's uh, that's going to be uh, going to be something uh, to talk about. I mean, the, the Abbey has been very close to the Queen. She she was married here. Um, she had a coronation here. She uh, had her mother's funeral here. Um, she watched her grandson, you know, the future king, Prince William, get married here. It's been a time of, uh, you know, there's been joy and sorrow inside the walls of that ancient, ancient building. So it's only fitting that this be the place where she is also, uh, where, the, where, the, where the nation also says goodbye as well. What happens, I mean, a day off for everybody in the U.K., for some in Canada, what happens when this is done? Because it's going to be somewhat early. I mean, I don't know. When my grandfather passed away, the first thing my dad and I did was we went to his legion, and we drank an awful lot of Ryan diet that day. Um, and you know what? What do what's expected to happen afterwards? Well, it's it's quite a long day for the family because there will be this committal service this afternoon our time um, in Windsor. And then after that, there's a private burial service, just the family. Or, 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 you know, the prime minister will be at this committal service in Windsor uh, this afternoon that happens at 4.30 local time. So that's about four and a half hours that's after the end of the funeral. Um, and then there's a burial this, this evening that the family will take part in. Uh, she'll be buried alongside Prince Philip, um, her husband, her late husband, um, and, and at the Royal Vault in, uh, in Windsor. Uh, so they will have a long day. Um, for, for most of the rest of the dignitaries, this will end. This will end uh, for most around noon, uh, so just in two and a half hours, two hours and forty-five minutes time. And for some, it will be part of this, uh, part of this other service at uh, at Windsor afterwards. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's been a down day. I think everything has been everything is more or less shut here. I was on my way here this morning, and everything was quiet and silent. So they've given the day. Britain's taken the day to mourn. I'd imagine things will start to move again probably around dinner time. But uh, for the time being, it is very much a, a, a nation stood still. And they're showing the funeral in movie theaters across the country. There's viewing mm-hmm. sites all over the place, including in London and elsewhere. 
um, you know, this is really, they've really tried to ensure that people get a chance to stand, stop, and watch this. Yeah, digital screens on the sides of the uh, buildings, too, from what I yep. what I understood. Um, ben, if you can help us understand what the uh, what does buried mean in this scenario, I, if, if you don't know specifically, that's cool too. I just it's curious because we talk about all the people that are there, the, all the people that have died and been put there. Um, is it more of a tomb? Is it you know I I don't even know what that looks like, and it just occurred to me as you said that when you said you know the, the burial, but it's it's not really kind of the same thing. I just don't know. Yeah, I mean the royal vault at Windsor is where her if I'm not mistaken, where her parents are are buried. Uh, the, the King George and the Queen Mom um, are buried there, uh, Elizabeth. And then her husband had been had been elsewhere, uh, briefly, right in the same area. Um, and, then, and then they will be reunited tonight. Um, my understanding of the Royal Vault is, is, is it's, I mean, it's, it is just a, it is on the grounds of Windsor Castle, which is a long, long, um, history in the royal family um and it is in fact it, i mean it's a it's a vault so I, I, i've actually never seen it <laughs> but it is in fact uh when she will be buried I, I gather the king tonight when he returns will will place some ceremoniously as one does at funerals place some dirt mm-hmm. on the two on the coffin and uh and that will be you know, that will be that she's going to be and prince philip they'll be reunited there as well it's, it's located beneath saint george's chapel is uh yeah. is where it is precisely but i've actually never been to it um, because for a very long time it was um, it, it's not something they made. It was just the king, the, the, her father, and her mom who were there. So it wasn't something that I had seen. I had uh, completed in 1810, um, and I did find some old pictures of it, just as you described that. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's basically a tomb, and everybody's yes. coffin is uh, behind iron mm-hmm. bars. It's kind of like being in jail. Yeah, and they're lowered down um, right into a hole in the floor. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, uh, Six, yeah, 16 yeah. feet below the chapel, and then when they get lowered into that, then they get moved into the place where they're going to stay. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's quite fascinating, uh, all of it, that you know it, it's like a stage, right? And then they're going to get lowered down below, and then they get put away where yeah. they go. Well, it's think about Westminster Abbey itself is, has, is, is the same, but there are many people buried at Westminster Abbey. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I gather the last person buried there was Prince Philip's mom. Princess Alice, but she was later moved to uh, to Jerusalem. So, you know, it's going to it's one of those days. There's so much history here. I mean, everything that happens today is steeped in this long history of the monarchy. And you know, there, you know, the Abbey itself. You know, you know, it's been it's been the site of coronations for a very long time. I mean, everything you're going to see today is steeped in this very long history of the royal family. And in the case of Elizabeth, a very long history of, of, of her reign as well. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a day steeped in, steeped in tradition. And um, none of this is, nothing that happens today will have been left up to chance, quite obviously. Uh, everything will, including everything that's done at the funeral, will have a very, will have significance to both uh, the family and uh, because she had a hand in planning this, uh, it will reflect who she was as well. So, yeah, it'll be, you know, it's been a very long time. Listen, it's been more than 70 years since the monarch has been, we've seen an English monarch, a funeral for an English monarch uh, of, this, mm-hmm. of this scale. So, and, and it's going to be something to, it's going to be something to watch. Yeah, and I ask not to be morbid. I ask because it's very real for all of us to wonder what our headstones look like, to wonder what, you know, the tomb looks like, or, or the, are we yeah. going to be buried with our partner? Are we going to, you know, how does that work? Do we go to our hometown or the town we live in? And those are the yeah. real things that people wonder about, you know, what this looks like as some of us, uh, have planned it already, for example. So I think this is the part that really relates to us in our day to day lives, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, you know, the tombstone, I believe, will read Elizabeth II. And and her her life, nineteen twenty six to nineteen uh, to two thousand and twenty one, um, or twenty two rather. So th- mm-hmm. that that'll be a very basic headstone. But you're right. I mean, again, there is this blend here between monarch and matriarch, and, right. and that's going to be something. And I think that's what you're pointing to. That's something that we will be watching as well because through it all, you, ha- you have those two things being combined today. This is a obviously a state funeral which carries connotations as well, and there's a process to a state funeral, but at the same time she's also the matriarch of this family mm-hmm. and so there's that aspect of it as well I mean being, for instance, being buried alongside your, your spouse of, of, of 70 years, for instance is, is also something that I think people have been 
wondering about, you know, how does that work? And, and where will they be? They'll be reunited there with, with her parents. So it, it is, there is a lot of symbolism here when it comes to all these different aspects of it. And it, it, it's, you know, again, it's just one of those things that we haven't seen in such a long time, but it is quite literally history happening right in front of you. Yeah, and I like the way you said that, Ben, not to be forgotten. She was also still just a wife and a mother and a sister and an auntie, right, and a grandmother and all those things, and so, and a friend to, to many. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, um, and just, a, and a dog mom. I mean, like, the reality is, is that queen, queen, sure, but um, there still is that human element. So thank you so much, Ben. I'll let you get back to it. I know you guys have a busy day. Uh, thank you for the insights, and uh, good luck with uh, with the show and the farewell to the queen from London. Yeah, thanks for having me, Shane. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.